I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. topic I want to discuss today. It's one that I think is a really interesting discussion when we're talking about monogamy versus non-monogamy and how this topic is maybe a little bit different of a mindset for us non-monogamous people. So we'll get to that very shortly. First, we want to talk about a sex in the news that I found so exciting and fascinating. It is, I don't know if you guys have heard this news or not, but Manhattan has decriminalized sex work, which is huge. It's pretty much the first time in the United States that that's happened. And of course, it's drawn a lot of criticism from a lot of groups. But I think the one that's most kind of interesting is the sex workers thoughts on this because it decriminalized the sex work from the sex workers perspective. It, however, has not decriminalized sex work from the perspective of someone actually going and getting sex work, as in the the John, if you will. That is the craziest thing ever. How can you have one and not the other? So who are they sex working for? Exactly. That's kind of the point is that it's a step in the right direction. Well, it's almost like a backhanded step in the right direction. Yeah. And the article that I'm talking about specifically comes from the decriminalized sex work website. So obviously these people are presenting a more progressive thought, a more serious thought on this matter than kind of the mainstream media. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because right now, if you look on CBS.com or MSNBC or any of the mainstream media outlets, they're talking about it a lot differently than the actual sex worker community. They're acting like this is such a huge change. And while I do believe it's something, right? It's it's a it's a morsel of goodness. It does not mean that it's, you know, what needs to be happening. Assuming that you believe that sex work should be decriminalized, which I personally do. Yeah, as do I, obviously. And yeah, I think it's it's certainly not the end game. It's it's maybe the beginning. It's scratching the surface. It's like you said, going in the right direction, but You can't have one without the other. You've got to decriminalize the act of working as a sex worker, and you have to decriminalize the act of someone being a patron to said sex worker. You can't, yeah, you you have to, it it has to be an even playing field. It's got to be equidistant. Yes, I agree. I think the one major benefit that this brings, and, and once again, from a legal perspective, yes, it changes things. From a morality perspective and the things that are actually happening out there, I'm not 100% convinced of this, which is what the article discusses, the concept of if a woman, for example, or a sex worker in general, I shouldn't just say a woman, if a, a person is abused in some way during a sex worker exchange, then they should should not be afraid to go to the police for fear of being arrested because they're admittance of guilt, right? For sure. They should be able to go to the people that are there to protect them, to let them know that a crime has been committed against them. And from a legal perspective, that has now happened. A sex worker can't be arrested for going to the police and saying that they were assaulted or in some other way uh, hurt by somebody else. Right. However, I still think that there's probably a lack of respect for sex workers in law enforcement. I mean, in the population at large, but especially with law enforcement, given that there has been so much history of you know sex workers not being taken seriously 
not being valued as members of society. So I still think that there's a lot of work to do there. Oh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of work, but at least it's a, as you said, it's the beginning. They're scratching the surface. At least they're looking at sex workers as real people and they're looking at them as people who are actually earning a living and providing a service. And as again, as you mentioned, provides them some security, some safety, the same types of security and safety that any other quote unquote normative citizen would have. And that, that's a, that's a step in the right direction, but you got to just open it up. You, you can't decriminalize one and not the other. Yeah. I mean, I think we should probably just legalize all of it rather than decriminalizing well, it. <laughs> well, consider the, the alternatives, right? There are so many other things going on that this isn't still an issue. Like it's, it, for me, it's like the marijuana debate. Like, how are we even arguing about this anymore? Why is this a thing? Right. You know, so now we're, now, now we have to make huge leaps and bounds in terms of decriminalizing sex workers like how are we still talking about that shit there's way bigger fish to fry yeah and my argument with sex work is the same thing it's always been for marijuana people are going to do it whether it's legal or illegal so why not make it legal tax it have it be a legitimate thing that is contributing to whatever community it's happening in and being a positive thing rather than this horrible seedy underground thing well it's not just a question of people are going to do it anyway because that's a slippery slope right there people are going to do a lot of things that they probably shouldn't be doing but when it comes to things like this these in my opinion these are victimless crimes if you've got two consenting adults one is a quote-unquote sex worker or provider the other person is someone who wants to patron that person no one's getting hurt here now okay well so there's are, the argument of the sex trafficking and, and how yes. the two worlds are linked together and right. while there are links between the two i actually think that legalizing sex work as in consensual sex work actually helps in minimizing sex trafficking well, because once again people can feel safe reporting crimes to people they're hopefully as time goes on it becomes less stigmatized so well, people same are, with the marijuana issue right yeah, people are more likely to speak out and and be open about the ways that they are being victimized in these situations I don't think that people, I mean, the correlation to me between sex trafficking and legalizing sex work with consensual adults, I, I don't see it. No, it, listen, you're talking about two different subjects, but again, it goes to, it lends itself to the same kind of conversation as legalizing marijuana. Yes, people are still going to do it. It's still going to be happening. People are going to partake. What it is going to do, much like with sex work, as you mentioned, yeah, people can now openly talk about the fact that they are sex workers and that they have been uh, the victims of a crime and all those kinds of things. Also, you're going to have a lot less probably crime associated with marijuana because it is now legal and taxable and legitimate and all those things. So yeah, I think you I think you make some some good points with that. I do, however, believe fully that you've got to decriminalize or not make illegal the act of someone using a provider. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. I think I think a lot of laws that are in place and I, I think it's a a rough reality for people to sink their teeth into, especially if they are not a marginalized person. But a lot of laws that are out there, much like marijuana laws, much like sex workers laws are specifically meant to control marginalized societies, i.e. not the highest income younger women. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all about the dollars, right? Somehow some politician finally decided that there's a way to make some money on sex workers and they're going to try to figure that out. When the reality of it is this should have happened a long time ago because sex work is work and they're real people and they're providing a service for a lot of folks who maybe don't have any other alternatives or don't feel like they do or don't want to have other alternatives. You know, there's a it's a service like any other and it, <laughs> 
It's been around a long time. Well, we know a lot of lifestylers that have used providers, you know, 100%. whether it was like they wanted to dip their toe into we the We know world. some that are providers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, um, you know, it's it's something to keep in mind. Like the person that is your friend in the lifestyle, probably <laughs> one of them has probably used a provider and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Once again, consenting adults. If you've got two folks or multiple folks that are all consenting, they are of, of adult age. This shouldn't even be a conversation. Agreed. So... A tiny toe in the right direction. That's what I'll label this as. And I do appreciate this article from Decriminalized Sex Workers, uh, Sex Work, I should say. And that article will be available in our show notes for you if you want to read up on it and get an idea of what sex workers are thinking about this specific topic and the ways that we can do better as, as a society for them. For sure. It's good news. Yeah, absolutely. So today I want to discuss something we have talked about before, and I think it's a really interesting conversation when you consider monogamy versus non-monogamy, because a lot of the things we're going to discuss today, the topics being presented, are things that are used very frequently in monogamous sex therapy, monogamous couples counseling, right? And you and I were discussing how these same concepts, while they make total sense and while we understand why they're used at times, it doesn't necessarily relate perfectly perfectly to non-monogamy, at least not from our perspective. No, I think there's a lot missing, uh, a lot of room for uh, improvement as it pertains to the ethically non-monogamous space. So what we're referring to is the idea of erotic blueprints, which you guys have probably heard if you listen to other podcasts, if you read about sex therapy, about sex counseling, any of those types of things. It's this concept of, it's much like the love languages. There are five different erotic blueprints that people can fall under, and it's based on how they enjoy interacting sexually with other people. Or Presumably with. fall under. Right. So I wanted to kind of walk through these and then we'll we'll start discussing, okay? Sure. So the first erotic blueprint is energetic, which is basically being aroused by space and anticipation. So the anticipatory buildup of a situation is more important to you than the actual physical act a lot of times. And for people who rush straight into sex, it can be a huge turnoff for somebody that has an energetic erotic blueprint. Okay. okay? I can see that. Sure. The second one is sensual which is being aroused by different types of sensation, anything that arouses the senses. So it could be good smelling candles. It could be flowers. It could be chocolates that you're tasting or eating together during sex. It has a lot to do with, you know, fingers going up and down the arms and the backs and and all of those kind of sensual acts that people think of when they think of sex. Um, And these people are very turned off by things like super bright lights, for example. It's all about kind of the ambiance and the, the environment that they're being put in. Right. Okay. Um, The third one is sexual. So this means they are aroused by sex. (laughs) Easy enough. And in other words, they find sex to be the most fun thing. It also tends to relax them. And if there's a lot of things that have to kind of lead up to the act of sex, they'll often become disinterested. Okay. So it's the actual, it's it's fornication straight and forward. Yes. Number four is kinky. So this is the type that is aroused by the taboo. This is often thought of as the people that enjoy, for example, BDSM acts or things that are quote unquote outside the norm regarding sex. Um, They become very turned off when things seem like they're too 
regular to average. To vanilla. Yes. <laughs> and then the fourth one is the shapeshifter or the evolver, which basically means that you take different elements of all of the other four blueprints. And what I found really interesting about this particular definition is that shapeshifters are often thought to be the people pleasers. They right. can sometimes or often put their own sexual interests or desires on the back burner to make the other person the center the centerpiece in the sexual situation that's happening. Right. So I thought what was really interesting is like if you're in a monogamous relationship and you're only engaging with one other person, it makes perfect sense that you would try to kind of fit yourself into one of these categories or, or look at this model and go, okay, I fit mostly into this category. My partner fits mostly into another category because if you're on completely separate erotic blueprints and you're only ever having sex with one person, it would be difficult to to align, right? And to find ways that you can be sexual with each other that are mutually beneficial. For example, if you're a super kinky person, you enjoy the taboo and constantly trying something new and different, and you're with someone who is all about the sex and immediately just wants to get into, like you said, fornication, and, and you're very stuck in your separate blueprints, yeah, it's really difficult to come together and find a way to have sex with your partner that is meaningful and makes you both feel good yeah well let's let's even take a step back from that particularly as it pertains to monogamous couples and, and we have now at this point and particularly with the coaching piece that we we work with have come in contact with a lot of monogamous couples we don't just talk to ethically non-monogamous people in fact i think it's 50 50 at this point yes and the first thing you got to do is actually have a conversation about exactly what we're talking about. Like, what is your language? You know, what works for you? How do you feel about this? That's the first thing you got to do to try to determine which category you fall into. Because most couples, I say most monogamous couples, probably don't know which category they fall into and certainly which category their partner falls into. Which is why you run in a lot of times to situations where couples are having either really mediocre sex or none at all because right. they're misaligned. Absolutely. And if you think about it, the example I just provided, the kinky person with the sexual person, right? The, the one that just wants to get down and dirty versus the person that wants to be tied up and flogged before they have sex. And you are both kind of going in these opposite almost directions in terms of the ways that you want to, to engage in sex with each other. And you're not talking about that with your partner. Right. It, I can't even imagine how, I mean, I can imagine because I was in that relationship, yeah, actually. We, we can imagine. We've done it. Yeah. <laughs> but now that I'm on this side of it, I can't imagine how stifling that would feel and how much sex would then feel like a chore, right? Because yeah. it's not, you're not going into it with this idea of I'm going to get what I need. I am going to be excited and aroused and, you know, feel like this amazing erotic person. I'm just going to go in there. We're going to probably have the type of sex they want or yeah, I'm going to, or I'm going to bring up what I want, but they're not going to want to do it and I'm going to feel rejected it just feels like work at that point it is it's drudgery you're phoning it in you're doing it because you feel like you're obligated to do that because it, this is your partner and this is what you do but the truth is you're getting no satiation out of it certainly you're not excited about it yeah that that's difficult and i think that's step number one you got to have a conversation about what it is that actually works for you and and just as importantly what doesn't work for you and how do you find some common ground truth of the matter is we and we've had this happen there are folks who find out that they like the exact same things they just have never spoken about it right Never had a conversation. It's so true. Yeah. So that's number one. And then, yeah, once you determine what it is, having a partner who is open to that exploration, right? Because as you alluded to in the beginning of this show, the difference for me between the monogamous groups and the ethically non-monogamous groups as it pertains to this topic 
those of us in the world of ethical non-monogamy, by virtue of being ethically non-monogamous, have to be fluid. Well, we're going to get to that. I, I don't want to cover that quite yet. We're going to get to that. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Yes. So let yes, we've kind of talked about the monogamous part of it, right? We've talked about if you're a monogamous couple and you are on a separate erotic blueprint page than your partner, that can be challenging. And I think because of that, the five erotic blueprints make total sense and are often used in sex therapy as a result of that, right? The sure. idea of like, if you're on a separate page than your partner, how can you find ways to compromise? Like you said, how can you be open-minded and try some new things with your partner uh, or, or maybe step a little bit out of your comfort zone? knowing that it may benefit your sex life as a whole okay in the world of non-monogamy i thought it was so interesting because you and i were talking about the five erotic blueprints and i asked you which one you thought that you fell into and you hummed and hawed about it and you kind of dissected all of them you had me read through the definitions again and you finally said i don't think that i fall into any of these categories and i immediately said well that means you're a shapeshifter you're an evolver you you kind of take all of them and you're like well no but i i don't feel that way i feel like there are times partners, etc., where I really fall into one of those categories. And there are other times when I could not be further away from that. Right. And I think that's the difference in non-monogamy. Well, yeah, as I said, I think because of our experiences, both with monogamy and ethical non-monogamy, we are absolutely more fluid. And I think you have to be. There's no way around it. Consider the, the types of people that we typically interact with in the lifestyle. People that we, not just our friends, but people that, specifically people that we play with or have played with. I can't think necessarily of two, in my opinion, that were alike in many ways. So play is different with, every, with a lot of people. It's, it's different with everybody. Everyone's kind of got their own thing. And for me, so yes, I think I play, would resonate a little bit more with the the evolving concept, you know, the fifth concept, from the standpoint that I am not going to impose my will on my partner. I am definitely a pleaser. There's no question about that. My partner's pleasure in that moment absolutely, in my mind, supersedes mine. Also, however, it's self-serving because if my partner is pleased, I will have a better experience. Of course. 100%. Not everyone's like that. I absolutely thrive in an environment where my partner is, I know my partner has been pleasured. Sure. I didn't mean everyone is like that. I just meant that right. I, that makes total logical sense why you would do that. Well, it's almost like the part that, you know, the place you want to strive for, in my opinion. However, I am also kinky. So you and I have a very healthy kink appetite. And we play in the BDSM spaces, how we started. However, I've, I've played with not all of my partners who were BDSM-centric or kink-centric. In fact, I just had an amazing experience with a woman who was very much the opposite of you, and in many cases, the opposite of how we play. And so my experience with her was far more sensual. It was definitely softer. There were components of it that were, dare I say, intimate. And that's not the norm. You and I don't even play that way. Right. You know, so you've got to have that fluidity when you're in the world of ethical non-monogamy, unless you are very specifically going to play with one type of person. If you're going to be rigid and, and really seek out the person or people that you genuinely want to play with, you do not want to deviate from your type of play, you're going to have to be fluid. Yeah, flexible for sure. I do also think, though, I made the argument to you that like, 
you have different energies and different erotic blueprints with different partners. Different partners bring certain things out of you. But as soon as that came out of my mouth, I disagreed with myself because I've had partners where I played with them multiple times and I would call it differently erotic different times. For right. example, you know, I had a long-term play partner at home. It was very rough. It was very kinky. It was We really did focus on a lot of the taboos. There was a lot of less acceptable maybe sexual ideas that were explored but there were still times when it was about the sensual sides it was about rubbing my fingers up and down his back or you know kissing softly on my neck like maybe that wasn't 100% our identity but I was able to match his energy in those moments and and once you again like you said be very fluid and flexible in order to make the sexual situation as good as it possibly can be so I think that's where you know for me the erotic blueprint while it makes sense I don't love it for non-monogamy I I think it's um maybe a little bit limiting in how it identifies what it is makes a good sexual situation between two people because the whole idea of erotic blueprints is like you should be able to meet in the middle if you are separate types right if you have separate erotic blueprints you should be able to find some way that you can meet your partner in the middle and still meet some of their needs and also have some of your needs met but i think in non-monogamy it's so much more about energies naturally finding each other and morphing into whatever it is going to be between those two or multiple people. Well, listen, we talk about it all the time. What is the most important component when you are actually going to consider a partner, a sexual partner? It's communication and chemistry. In the lifestyle, those two things for us are paramount. They're paramount. Agreed. And once, much like you alluded to, and you were referring to Clint, of course, that connection evolved because and the chemistry evolved and the play evolved because you had a long-term relationship with him so while it may have started out very aggressive very much a bdsm kind of dynamic very much a top bottom situation your play while it while it continued to be on the aggressive side certainly and as you mentioned less normative than most folks there were those intimate moments or very soft and tender moments but that's because of the partner right? Your partner makes all the difference. The connection and the chemistry make all the difference. So if you are with someone and you are earnestly connected with that person and there's genuine chemistry, you're going to want to evolve, I would think. Yep. You know, I I think that that's just something people will fall into over the course of time. I also think that there's something to be said for non-monogamous people not wanting to fall into a blueprint, right? I think that one of the reasons that people who are successful at monogamy, as in people who can be in successful monogamous relationships, is because they do tend to fall within a blueprint and know what they like and are kind of... I don't want to call it one-dimensional by any means, but but maybe not quite as complex in some of their sexual needs as other people, okay? And and that might be an overgeneralization. I know that we have people that listen to this that are monogamous, and I'm not saying anything bad about being monogamous. I'm simply saying it's easier to be a monogamous person if you have more simplistic needs in terms of your sexual identity, okay? Well, even if you're monogamous and you have complete and utter communication with your partner and you can have conversations about 
where your ebbs and flows are in terms of sexuality and your partner is open and, and willing to meet you there. If you don't have those things, that becomes really complicated. Absolutely. What I'm saying is there are some monogamous people that like having an erotic blueprint. They like being a certain type of sexual person, right? I think a lot of the reason that people enter into non-monogamy is because they realize that they don't fit into one of those blueprints and they don't want to. They want to constantly be ebbing and flowing and exploring and being a different type of sexual being. One of the things I love about being with multiple partners, period, is that I get to be someone different, right? It's almost like I get to play a character depending on who I'm with. There have been men, I sh not just men, but mostly men that I've been with that appreciate my more dominant side, for example. They like the fact that I take charge, I go in there, we have, you know, maybe a little bit more kinky times together, but I'm really the dominant energy during those interactions. I've been with people who are far more sensual and I like to kind of feed into that energy. It makes me feel maybe more feminine and a little bit more dainty when I get to have fingers kind of all over me and soft kisses and, you know, have something fed to me. There's something very sexy and erotic about that to me. I also at times like to go straight into the sex, it, the, the sex blueprint, the idea of we're not going to talk. We're not going to have any of the fluff. We're just going to enjoy each other's bodies for an hour and have everything else out the window. Like, I like being all of those people. I like being all of those sexual beings wrapped into one person. And therefore, I think I am more geared towards non-monogamy as a result of that. Well, you're also talking once again about energy. Energy has a lot to do with what you're referring to. Are you going straight for sex or is it going to be sensual? And then maybe with a little sprinkle of BDSM, is it going to be straight up kinky? All of those things have everything to do with the energy that you're getting, the energy transference you're getting from whichever partner you happen to be with. And the idea that you can do that really lends itself to why I think we're in the space, right? It's the, it's the flavors. It's the 33 flavors. Everybody wants to have variety. And, and that's where that comes from. But the fact that you can be flexible that way, in my mind, because I, I certainly try to be the same way, tells me that you are just as concerned about your partner's pleasure and eroticism as your own, and you're willing and capable to make those adjustments. But also, when it comes to actual play, whether it is a, an aggressive kind of BDSM scene situation, or it's a more sensual kind of a being fed strawberries and chocolates kind of thing, you enjoy them both equally in the moment. Sure. And that, again, has to do with the partner. What I guess my point is, should Clint at some point have wanted to do that? I think it would have been a little uncomfortable for you because you guys never played that way. That wasn't the dynamic. You certainly wouldn't have been opposed to it and you wouldn't have turned your nose up to it. You'd have gone along with it most likely because you enjoyed each other's company. I think you would have found pretty quickly that that wasn't the, the dynamic for you. But the idea that you would have given it a shot. That, that's the key. I mean, maybe. I think, so here's what's really interesting. As our listeners know, I play p fairly often with single guys. And I played a few times with a single guy who was incredibly sensual. He was all about the kissing. He was a cuddler. Uh, it was a lot of like whispering things in my ear. It was very soft play. And there was one time when I was trying to feed off of the energy because I think you made a great point. It is so much about energy when it comes to sex. It's about being fluid enough to understand that the other other person's energy may be more important at times and you have you know you have to be able to 
go with the flow and go with their energy flow, whatever that that may look like in that moment. But I remember very distinctly playing with this single guy, all like I said, all sensual up to this point. And there was a time he was engaging with me from behind, right? And I asked him to spank me and he didn't. He did not spank me, which was fine. And we stopped and I asked him why he didn't spank me. And he said, because that's not who I am. I'm not built for that. I don't like that. It doesn't turn me on. And I think that he was a great example of somebody who he, I mean, he was a great sexual partner. There was nothing wrong with him. I thoroughly enjoyed being with him. He was very giving on so many different levels. We had a great time together, but that was a time when I felt an energy and he was almost kind of stuck in an erotic blueprint, right? And I think that's great for him. I think he now knows that about himself. We actually had that conversation and and he determined that, you know, he's been with women in the past who want something a little bit more rough, who want to be choked, who want to be spanked. That's not who he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of being able to communicate that to the people you're with. And, you know, he's probably, in my opinion, not geared towards being a lifestyler as a result of that because he's going to need to find partners if he intends to be with partners on a long-term basis and having ongoing sexual relationships with someone, he needs someone who is also sensual, who also appreciates the softness and and gets off on the same things that he does. Yeah, but there is something to be said for a couple of things. One, the fact that he did attempt to kind of play your level of play, but very quickly realized it wasn't for him. And he identified that. But that's not my point. See, I think that it was an energy from him. He was feeling more aggressive in that moment. I could tell by the way he was grabbing me, by the way, it was not something I asked for. It was our energies meeting each other in the middle. Yes. But that doesn't mean that he is able to switch into a different erotic blueprint. No, I think what was happening in that moment is that he did feel some of your energy and fed off of that. Not the same level of energy that you possess in that space, but certainly it must have, you know, bled over to, you know, him getting the same kind of feeling. He just couldn't go as far as you wanted him to go because you guys are playing on different levels. Yes. And what's so interesting is before I really started to understand this about people and before I started to have a lot of experiences with people where I was learning about them as sexual people, I would often say the phrase, I am a lot for some people. I'm too much for some people in, in the bedroom. Yeah, but I should stop saying that because it's not true. I'm not necessarily too much. Some of them I am. Some of them have no idea what they're doing. They don't understand their erotic blueprint at all because they don't know themselves as sexual people at all. But for the most part, when I say that about someone, it's just because they're not meeting me on my level with in terms of my energy and the things that I'm interested in about sex. Yeah, but that is exactly what you said. Sometimes you're a bit much for people. There's nothing wrong with that statement because if you are not on the same level, if you're not certainly aligned from a, let's call it the blueprint perspective... And they themselves have no inclination as to where they fall on that blueprint. You could absolutely come off as someone who is a little bit more than they expected. We had this conversation with multiple people. I certainly had when I was doing much of the vetting when it came to single guys. I would try to make it clear that you you really need to kind of have a sexual IQ that's a little higher than average because she's going to require all of that energy and a lot of guys can't do it. And that's fine. Or a lot of people can't do it, which but is just fine. My point is it's not necessarily about not being able to do it. It's about not being that person as a sexual person. It, or willingness. It, it's about being 
a different erotic blueprint than me. I don't love, for example, the energetic type. I don't love all of the buildup, all of the anticipation, right. the constant talking about sex before sex actually happens, you know, the kind of emotional bond that some people need. I, I'm not that person. Right. And so I immediately assume that if somebody is like that and needs all of that attention from me before sex, it means that I am somehow on a different level than them sexually. And that's not true. No. It's just that they have needs that don't align with my needs. And that's totally okay. We're just not a good fit for one another. Well, and that's where you and I kind of, we we veer off a little bit because when it comes to play partners, other than you and you and myself, obviously, I like a little bit of the anticipatory buildup. I like a little bit of the kind of, not so much the teasing, but the that energy that takes place before you get actually to meet someone, maybe even face-to-face. Maybe there's some communication digitally, but you haven't quite met them face-to-face yet. And and I enjoy that. In fact, I'll refer back to the, the last time I was with uh, our friend that we spoke of earlier, or the first time I should say that I was with her. There was a little bit of that because we had a date. We had lunch. We were sitting next to each other at a table. She was touching my leg. I was touching her leg. This took place for an hour and a half, two hours before we actually got to play. And that build up lent itself to a really intense experience, albeit far more sensual and on the softer side than I am accustomed to, certainly with you as my partner. Because of those that time before the actual play, it made play that much better. Had we just met at a hotel and started playing that way, it would not have been the same experience for me. So this is interesting then. I basically just said that the one erotic blueprint that I don't identify with and I have a really hard time with is the energetic blueprint, which is once again, that idea of anticipation and tease. I do not get off on that at all. In fact, it annoys me. Is there one of the erotic blueprints that you feel that way about? No, I don't think so. And that's part of that was part of the conversation we had earlier where I said, I don't necessarily believe this because I feel like I inherited a little bit of all of those things over the course of my life. Um, right, but right now, as the person you are as a sexual person right now today. I'm in the evolutionary space, for sure. Can I disagree with you respectfully as your partner? You can, but do understand that I'm saying that based on the definitions that we have been provided. So the definition of the sex erotic blueprint is basically no fluff no bs straight to the act of sex right i do not think that that is your sexual personality i think that you struggle with finding a connection with someone if you're not able to have some of the kind of extraneous things going on outside of just penetration or sucking or whatever i agree however there is a part of me that with the right partner under the right circumstances, and, and I have proven this already not too long ago when we talked about it on Front Porch Swingers, I was able to do just that. There was, there was no, no lead up necessarily. It was show up, meet this person who I already had known, obviously. We, we knew each other. Show up, meet this person, and instantly right into sex. There wasn't even conversation. <laughs> and that's not the norm for me. Yeah. At all. But in that moment, because of all of the the stimuli going on in the room that I was in, not the least of which was that her partner was in the shower 30 feet behind me watching this through a glass door, all of it lent itself to a very interesting sexual dynamic. And under normal circumstances, with potentially a different partner, that wouldn't have worked for me at all. But it did. Yeah. You know, so I do think that there's the ability, I have the ability anyway. As I've gotten older, and I think as, as my all of my experiences 
culminating and, and continuing to evolve. I think I feel like I'm always evolving. I'm trying always to evolve anyway. But I think given all of that, I do take little bits and pieces from all of those things, which is why I, 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 there's no way I could fall into one category. It's not possible. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that the sex erotic blueprint is probably the one you fall into least. But probably, you know, if we're going to give them a point system, for yeah, example. Yeah, it would be number five on the list probably for me. Yeah. Out of all of them. But also consider this. When I talk about evolution, and again, these are the definitions that were that were being handed, right? But I think of evolution obviously a little bit differently, probably like a lot of people do. You're evolving and, and all those things. You consider the fact that I am a bisexual or pansexual person. And because of that, I have to think outside of those five those five categories, right? Because I behave differently with whether my partner identifies as male or my partner identifies as female or whatever the case may be, non-binary, my energy changes because of my partner. And that becomes, for me, that's a level, that, that comes from my being thoughtful and considerate to people because I do not want to ever be offensive. We talked about this before. I am never going to show up to a party in which I am not invited. Sure, but the definition of the shapeshifter or evolver erotic blueprint is the idea that you are a people pleaser and sometimes you don't pay attention to your own desires or needs as much as somebody else's. So how many times recently or, you know, since we've been in the lifestyle, have you not done something that you wished you would have or that would have really turned you on because you were concerned that the other person wasn't going to be open to it? Oh, a number of times, I'm sure. No different from my being involved with in or taking part in a particular situation that I was not entirely comfortable with, but I genuinely liked the person and certainly didn't want to be offensive or, you know, come off as disinterested and certainly continued to play along because it was obvious that that's what that person wanted. So yeah, I'm a people pleaser. I am not, I, the last thing I'm going to want to do in a circumstance, particularly an intimate one or a physical one with someone is to be standoffish. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to be insulting in any way. So I will absolutely put myself to a level of discomfort before I put it on somebody else. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's admirable, but I think it also relates to a lot of what we've been talking about with your lifestyle journey period, which is like, sometimes you should be the center of attention. Sometimes your needs have to come first. And the fact that they almost never do, including in our relationship, I think is... I don't want to say concerning, but it's something I definitely think a lot about. I look at sex with, well, let's talk about our dynamic, yours and mine. I enjoy the idea. It it goes back to why we're in this space, right? It goes back to that compersion aspect and the royalty perk aspect. I want you to be satiated. I enjoy the idea that you are satisfied and pleasured, whether it's with me or someone else. That is, it's transferable. It is not... Uh, you know, solely in, in either one of those two camps. I like the idea that you are enjoying yourself. And if you are not, I can't. So yes, from that perspective, your needs and wants and desires supersede that of mine. But what I think maybe you're not, a lot of people fail to realize is that in doing that, I am being satiated and satisfied on a, on a, to a very large degree. And I, and as much as I want to continue to be satisfied, I could not be ultimately satisfied if that that those needs weren't first met. Which I totally agree and understand and I appreciate immensely about you as a partner. I also think that part of 
you know, talking about erotic blueprints, period, is, like we said, meeting in the middle on some things. You know, if there were times where you wanted a little bit more sensual touch in the bedroom, for example, or there were times when you wanted less kink, which is definitely our go-to, I would want you to express those things to me rather than just going with the flow of my energy and what I want because you know I'm always going to be submissive. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to kind of bow down and allow you to, you know, be more kinky and and have some of those more taboo things happening versus the other erotic blueprints because that's my go-to. Yeah, but again, as I mentioned earlier, it really comes down to the partner, the person you're with, the energy, the connection, the chemistry. That is the dynamic that you and I enjoy the most. And I enjoy that dynamic with you the most, far more than I do with anyone else, obviously, because of how you and I are connected. That does not mean that I want that same sensual kind of softness that I had with my last partner with you because that's not our dynamic. That energy to me feels off. Now, we do have our our nights and our evenings where we have those sensual times you know we have there is softness obviously (laughs) it absolutely is but what 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 ends up happening right inevitably we start out that way and it goes off the rails within 30 or 45 minutes right so the intention is good We, we earnestly try to do that but that's not our energy the energy i had with for example my last partner as we're talking about that energy was very different and i could feel it almost instantly from when she and i sat down next to each other at the table for example, and you don't know this because we haven't talked about it on the show yet. She got she moved from the seat she was in and moved closer to me. She moved to my left as opposed to my right, so she could sit closer to me and out of the sun. And we were our chairs were touching, our knees were touching. We were sitting so close to one another, and that's that was unusual for me. But it worked in that moment. It worked with that partner, and then that kind of sensual behavior simply carried over to the bedroom. Now, had we gone from that to really aggressive play in the bedroom, I would have found that odd. Yeah. And certainly because of how it was unfolding, I got the impression that, yeah, this is going to be a softer moment and I need to wrap my head around it, which I 100% totally didn't bought in. It was an amazing experience. Not the norm for me at all, but it worked. Yeah, I think that adaptability is something that is a huge strong suit for you in the lifestyle. Yeah, I have no problem being adaptable. I have no problem acquiescing to you know someone's desires or kinks. I'm because I'm an open book. I have there. I am not in a situation in my life or a position in my life at this point to judge anyone for anything sexually that they want to do or to so, keep yourself in a box. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to hold myself back, particularly if it's something I've never done before and it hasn't really been. It wasn't on my to do list. It wasn't on my bucket list. But someone offers it up well yeah i mean i'll roll the dice if i like that person and there's genuine connection right that's the key i keep going back to it you can throw the rest of this crap out the window the blueprint the book the whole nine yards (laughs) none of that shit matters if there is no legitimate chemistry connection and viable energy transference if those things aren't present i don't care what your likes or dislikes are you know, if we are both kinky or we're both, you know, submissive or we're both sensual, if we don't genuinely like each other, none of that shit matters. Yeah, I agree. I think what's so interesting is, like I said, the the five erotic blueprints are used a lot in sex therapy. And I think that that speaks to the fact that sex therapy is very much kind of removed from the world of non-monogamy. That's not to say that there aren't great therapists out there who focus on non-monogamy, because there are. We've talked to them. But they are few and far between. I think the average sex therapist doesn't really know how to handle the average lifestyler. And, and that's because our sexual needs, our sexual 
sexual interest, the way that we think about sex and the way that we move around the world as sexual beings is way more complex than what you can possibly put into these five categories, right? These five categories are a good stepping point for people to talk about sex if they're not already talking about sex, if they don't understand their partner as a sexual being. Absolutely. I think you should use something like this. I think that makes perfect sense. But for people who are already immersed in the world of sexuality and very comfortable moving between the different blueprints or being different sexual beings with different people, I think it's overly simplified and and I just don't think it works. And I think the second that you and I started talking about these blueprints and you said, I don't fit into any of them, and I really thought about it for myself as well, I realized you were 100% correct. Yeah, it's a great stepping stone. It's a, it's certainly the beginning of conversations. But think about how many people that we have had the opportunity to work with in the last two months that have been to traditional therapists. And when they started talking, when the conversation got to sex or sexual proclivities, they instantly referred them to someone else, particularly in a lot of cases to, to those who had a therapy background, but with a religious bend and, and, and just simply don't have a conversation for sex. Well, and I'm speaking even specifically of sex therapists. I think that the the world of sex is still so boxed in. I think as a society, we still think of, even if somebody wants to be monogamous, there's still these very kind of finite ideas of what sexuality means. And I think that's proven by the fact that these five blueprints of, these five erotic blueprints are so heavily used in the Too space of sex therapy so. and, and couples counseling. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on podcasts it's in books there i you know i searched erotic blueprints before we got on here to do a little bit more research there are thousands of articles on it this is one of the most used overused concepts of sexuality and yet to me it feels like just this kind of watered down simplified version especially when you consider that being non-monogamous means being able to be with a lot of different people and and having that be really the draw for why you continue on in the lifestyle for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. Well, when you consider these blueprints, how heavily they're used in, uh, you know, sex therapy, particularly when it comes to, you know, let's say monogamous folks or, or quote unquote, vanilla folks, more vanilla folks. It's almost like when you tell somebody, hey, these are the five blueprints. It's like anything else. These are your five options. You fall into one of these five. We need to figure out which one. And if you're if you're a person who looks at these five options and goes, eh, I don't know, but this this expert's telling me that I do. I, I need to pick one. <laughs> yeah. It's horseshit. You know, yeah, you may very well fit into one. You might fit into four out of the five or three out of the five. That's a decision you have to really make yourself. In, in a lot of respects, you can make that decision yourself based on experiences, certainly. But if you're a partnered person, you really need to have conversations about what your wants are, what your desires are, what your fantasies are, what your do not wants are, what your hard limits are. These are conversations I think you should have even before you go see someone about this topic. Yeah, but a lot of people don't have that language. I think that's part of the problem. Oh, that's a big problem. If you fall into that category, obviously we have one-on-one or two-on-two coaching services and we'd love to help you with that because, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Brian. I think, you know, understanding yourself on a deep enough level is one thing and that's a a quality that not everyone possesses. But to be able to voice that to somebody else in a way that is eloquent and thoughtful and has them truly understand where you're coming from is a whole different skill set that not everyone has developed. And it's not abnormal. It's just no. something that needs to be fixed in order to create the best possible sexual scenario for you and your partner if you're monogamous or partners if you're non-monogamous. Yeah. 
And Absolutely. You, you know, the idea of these five blueprints, I think, is important for people who have zero idea where to start. But this is not the end all be all, in my opinion. Absolutely. So if you'd like to discuss this in more detail, you can find all of our coaching services, including how to set up a free consultative call with us at sexonyourterms.com. You can also email us directly at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. And if you're not already following us on social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram at sexonyourterms. And that's what we have for you guys this time. Until next time, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms. <laughs>